Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. All right. Thank you, Lunch and Learn community. Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drpierreblog.com, bringing you another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, uh, your number one podcast for patient advocacy and helping you empower yourself for better health. This week ends a three-part series where we talk about pain, how to deal with pain, how your physician uh, is concerned about your pain. And most importantly, we're ending off this series with, I think, someone who's very special. And I can't wait for you guys to uh, listen to and learn and, uh, you know, empower yourself from Dr. Zarina Hutt, better known as Dr. Z uh, online. And she is an absolutely phenomenal person, right? Like, again, I'm going to read her bio, right? So don't, uh, don't, don't hurt me, right? Like, this is a person who I think needs to be introduced. And especially for the Lunch and Learn community, when you have a person of you know this caliber especially from a specialist right again as an internist I do a lot of talking right and you guys know I know a lot about a little uh, but when you know I got a topic like pain which uh, you guys have you know either read or kind of listened to the podcast past couple weeks it's so vast right I definitely want to get someone who like this is their niche right and this is this person right so let me read her bio real quick before we get things started you know that is Rena Hud aka Dr. Z is a nationally recognized Sports and Integrative Pain Specialist that has earned her Doctorate of Osteopathic Medicine, shout out to Medios, of medicine from Ohio University. She completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Thomas Jefferson College of Medicine. She also completed her fellowship training at Lake Erie College of Medicine, where she, treats, where she treated hundreds of professionals and college athletes. As one of America's highly respected experts in providing patients non-opioid pain solutions, remember that thing that we got to stress that non-opioid pain solutions to acute and chronic conditions. Through her books, media contributions, programs, products, coaching services, she is changing lives over the long term because she addresses your pain from the inside out and the outside in. Uh, she is also the founder and CEO of Rebound Sports and Rehab and uh, DrZarena.com. She offers practical strategic solutions to help you obtain Pain freedom. And I, guys, I really want you to, if you get nothing from this episode, right, she's, she's going to really hit home this pain freedom uh, uh, mindset that we really want you guys to get to and help you become the MVP of your own health, right? Which, again, is uh, something I love, right? Again, we're empowering yourself for better health. And Dr. Zarina is going to help you become the MVP of your own health while giving you pain freedom. Dr. Zarina, thank you. Dr. Z, I'm sorry. Thank you for coming to another episode of The Lunch Lover, Dr. Barry. This episode is brought to you by the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where we are living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In the Lunch and Learn Community Store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, ebooks, as well as other related products by Dr. Barry. Head over to shop.drpiersblog.com and get a chance to get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Again, shop.drpiersblog.com. Live out the motto, empower yourself for better health. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm totally honored to actually be here with you as well and to give and serve to this community. So thank you for having me. Now, of course, I did, you know, I did my, you know, I did, I read your bio, right? And we, we all, you know, we all can kind of read your bio, but uh, Dr. Z, can you tell us a little, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, 
um, you know, how you got to where you, you are and, you know, kind of what you do on, I would say, a day-to-day. Sure, sure. So as you mentioned, I am Dr. Zarina or Dr. Z. Either one works for me, actually. So um, no apologies there. I am actually a child of five in general. And why is that important? Uh, it kind of does speak to, I guess, my journey, if you will. As you said, how did I get here um, in terms of my background and just my upbringing in general? Um, which kind of, I think, lends itself to uh, my MVP kind of mindset or really trying to press upon that to other people in their lives is because of my background and because of my upbringing and because of my educational, you know, kind of, I guess you say journey, um, everything that I was able to accomplish had everything to do with my mindset and that ability for me to really uh, put myself first in that way, but not in a like haughty way, but really in an unapologetically humble way. Um, so that being said, that kind of sparked my interest in medicine because of my parents who were also um, just really, really, really deep into education and uh, excellence. You know, that kind of mindset was very much um, expected, um, not just encouraged, but expected mm-hmm. um, in a way that uh, really pushed me. In a, um, but not in a, again, not in a way that, you know, I felt like I had no life. Um, because I was also an athlete, which probably lends itself also to my MVP mindset, but um, pushing me in every area, the idea that, you know, you want to be the MVP, you want to be the excellent in everything that you touch and everything that you do. And because we're all on this earth, we have the opportunity every single morning that we wake up to do so. Um, And then just my whole love that I don't know exactly where it came from specifically, but my love for science was just in me. And my love for uh, identifying how the world or the or life could um, actually impact our health, I think came from my great grandmother. So again, my upbringing, it really, really propelled me towards where I am right now. Oh, that's beautiful. That's uh, very interesting. I, th- I think especially, I think especially for the legislative community, just to kind of get things, you know, kind of get them in the right mindset, right? When they hear, you know, sports integrated pain specialists, right? Like, why would, you know, why would someone see like a, a, that type of specialist in the first place, right? Like what would, what events would lead me to be in your, uh, in, in your office? So the most common patient that I would say that we see, and I'm glad you asked it that way, because most people that do come to see me, because I'm a specialist or a subspecialist, actually, um, even, you know, more specifically, uh, they've kind of seen a lot of people often before they even see me. And I don't know if, you know, I'd like to change that paradigm, hence platforms like yours, as well as others, allows me to educate the public, as well as my colleagues that are not in the specialty, right, um, to identify and be able to be a little bit more clear about when is it appropriate to send someone to me? Because um, oftentimes, the earlier we see them, right, before they see five, six, seven doctors, mm-hmm. um, the better, because we'll be able to um, positively impact their ability to avoid chronic pain um, and get back to their life or get to a, on a, just a better trajectory in general. So the patients that see me are people like you just mentioned, sometimes they're chronic pain patients. Sometimes they're not. A lot of times my athletes do see me a little bit sooner, um, usually because they have, honestly, I think they tend to have a um, somewhat of a support system around them that kind of identifies, you know, their injury or exactly, or they can see that, you know, in their case, right. As as athletes, they're want to compete. So there's someone either themselves or someone near them that wants them to compete at the highest level. So they're apt more up to, um, or more likely to seek me out a little sooner. Um, unfortunately though, the patient who say, you know, was injured at work or just 
has a particular lifestyle that they do certain things repetitively and didn't realize they needed to see me earlier. I do tend to see them too, but unfortunately, I, um, but again, it's shifting a little bit, but tend to see them a little bit later in their course of, um, of their injury or their pain. And when we talk about, especially later on, and I, and I can tell you, especially as a subspecialist and, um, as and I'm a suspect, I guess in the terms of specialist, for specialist, I'm an attorney, so I, I'm I'm like the front line. So I tend to refer people to uh, specialists like yourself. And w- what are some of the the treatment modalities that you see? You know, kind of like the front line people do, and do and fail at, and then the patient ends up with you, right? What are some of the issues that, or some of the things your patients go through before they even end up seeing you, in regards to treating their pain? Good question. So, um. I'm trying to to speak to the most common things I see. So one of the most common things I see, like you said, they may see the front line. First of all, they tend to see even the front line later than I would like them to. Um, So then by the time you see them sometimes, it's still not as early, right, as as you could have seen them. Then by the time you see them um, or, you know, general practitioner or internist, um, the most common thing that I find that uh, my colleagues do in that realm is, they are due plus or minus, maybe or maybe not an x-ray. Um, that's not always common. But if the patient, um, depending on actually the subjective information that the doctor gets, a lot of times they'll either write a prescription for you know, extra strength Motrin and tell them to take it every so often. Um, that could be good or um, that could be good if it's within the first, um, I would say six weeks or uh, four to six weeks. Uh, but after that, that's probably not a good idea. And I still see that uh, happening because your first touch was, that was your first touch of that patient. Um, another thing that I commonly see is that that general practitioner will then maybe send them to PT, um, which can be good, but then where the breakdown actually happens is, is that trifecta, I call it, is okay, you have the general practitioner who sends them to PT, then you have the physical therapist, and then me on the kind of the periphery. But what happens is the patient may or may not get better with the physical therapy. And then that's where the breakdown happens because either A, they don't go back to the general practitioner to let them know they're still, you know, not really improve much. Or the general practitioner at that point, not really sure what to do. They say, oh, well, they did physical therapy. Just go home and do your stuff that they told you to do and, you know, have a great life. Mm. Um, But that doesn't often happen. So a lot of times there could be something missing in that period of time that if I can get involved a little bit earlier, um, sometimes we can circumvent some of those issues happening for a longer period of time for that patient. For, for and, and, and I think you definitely touched home, especially when, you know, they, the patient runs into a, a treatment failure where, you know, the doctor said do this and it didn't happen and didn't work. And they, they can become a little bit disgruntled. Yeah. Like, so I'm pretty sure by the time, not for all, but some of the patients, by the time they get to you, um, they're not very, uh, trusting of you know, even absolutely. the recommendation that you may have. Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes me <laughs> a lot to, uh, <laughs> and that's no, you know, everybody did their best right before me, but it does. Y'all leave you here, have to really like sell myself. But really what I tell people is like, it's not about me, which is again, why it goes back to the MVP, right? One of the first things that I initiate, initiate with my patients when they get to that point is really, Um, in a positive way, almost like a coach, right? Putting the onus in on them saying, okay, maybe you feel like the people or us, right? The healthcare failed you. But at the end of the day, every one of us has to identify and decide to be the most valuable person for our health and our life. And what that means is committing to yourself. 
You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, regard and also not and not giving up on yourself. So part of that is giving me an opportunity to assist you, point guard. Sorry, all mm-hmm. these uh, <laughs> athletic terms, but you know, assist you, you know, and but you're the MVP of this team. So, you know, giving them that onus back and letting them to really, you know, take ownership of their health and their life. And then I'm there to guide them through that very path. Sometimes that's going to be in the form of more physical therapy, because what I often say, just like every doctor is not created equal, every physical therapy program is not created equal. Um, and sometimes that's a hard sell when they feel like, oh, I did that already. Oh, you didn't do this already. This one, right. But, you know, exactly. And also, oftentimes what I find is that, um, believe it or not, which I don't think it's too hard to believe, oftentimes there's a multifactorial or multifaceted approach that needs to happen. And that's the part that got missed. So maybe they are going to be potentially go back into physical therapy. But in addition to that, I'm going to also be addressing, again, mindset. I'm also going to be addressing their diet. I'm also going to be addressing their stress level on the personal level, what's happening at home, what's not happening at home, what's happening on the on the um, employment front, because those things impact our pain. We know that scientifically, the evidence-based medicine supports it, that indeed our pain is directly or indirectly, or I would say directly, actually, um, impacted by our stress level and our emotional state and our mindset from that perspective, how that impacts the cortisol levels and so on and so forth, that then in turn can exacerbate your pain or improve it. Um, not by itself, of course, right? That's why I say it's multifactorial, but we have to address the whole human, right? In order to get to that long-term pain freedom. Yes, that holistic approach in lunch learning community. Like I know you're hearing a lot of buzzwords that I've kind of been talking about where, you know, when it comes to your health, it, 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 the key word is your health, right? We can we can only do so much, uh, but we have to, again, we have to empower you uh, with, you know, we're the skilled one, we're the experts, right? But we still have to give you the ball, you know, to go down that court and make the shot, right? Absolutely. Love so, it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you get me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm here. So as, so we're going we're gonna to talk about, you know, that big, bad old word in a second, right? But like, I want you to talk about, you know, again, where, you know, there's four steps of long-term pain freedom, right? Let's talk about some, like, some non-opioid-related pain solutions that you've seen work, that you know work, that you practice on a day-to-day basis for your patients, right? Like, let's go through that. And then I want to talk about, like, you talk on your website, drzarina.com, you talk about how food can be, be an important factor when it comes to pain control. And I know some people probably listen to, like, food. Like, how right. is food going to like help me when it comes so like let, let's talk about like the non-opioid related solutions and then we'll talk about food hit a little bit of mindset and then we'll talk about that big opioid let's we'll have that the big old word right yes um that'd be great actually so i think uh we can actually start there because it's um like you just said and not start there the old word we'll leave that for later like you said but in terms of you know one of the initial things that you said is how food can be um, medicinal, as I said, food is pain, exercise is, you know, not food is pain, food is medicine, and exercise is medicine, all these different things, right? You probably hear these hashtags or things like that in the media, um, and it, it couldn't be more it couldn't be more true. I often say that food in general, um, as it is one of my top four, ste- or one of my four steps in terms of, um, you know, one of the things you can do for pain freedom long-term, food is definitely in there. And uh, that's actually one of the questions that was raised by a follower um, that was asked about, you know, what 
could we do? What can we do as one of the best supplements, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, for, uh, to relieve pain? And the reason I'm using that word kind of interchangeably at the moment, not always, but a lot of times supplements, you know, those things are derived from what? Food. Um, or they're derived from something that you could actually ingest, you know, via the herb or the plant or whatever the case may be. And it's fine. I'm, I'm not a, you know, supplement hater. I take supplements myself, but I tend to look at them like, you know, um, if, and that basically is like, if you're not getting it in your diet, then these can be completely appropriate. If you're not getting enough of it in your diet, then these supplements can be um, highly appropriate. So a good example, for instance, I kind of have you know, a couple of powerhouses that if you're doing these particular supplements on a pretty regular basis or in your food, and I, again, I, in my book, everybody has 15 minutes, 15 minute meals for your pain freedom. I actually go over what I call MVP star ingredients. So every recipe has one or more MVP star ingredients. So you identify exactly what I'm speaking of and why I put it in that particular recipe so that you know, this is what's so potent about this. And this is going to help my pain. An example of that could be something like turmeric, but maybe you're like, oh, I don't like turmeric and I don't know what that is. Um, I get that a lot as well. And but it's really popular at this point. Right. I mean, I think I feel like I see it all the time. But what people don't realize is one, how you safely take it. Um, that's not always talked about. And two, that you can actually get it in your food is one of the main ingredients in curry dishes. If you like pretty much any kind of curry. So if you can identify a curry dish that you like to um, cook that is going to be in that. And if you tend to eat that once or twice a week, then you don't have to grab the bottle of turmeric, right? You can actually get that in your diet. So I like to get lifestyle options and choices because it's a little bit more fun, first of all, right? To eat it. (laughs) And, you know, if you do enjoy it, you're more likely to do it. So, you know, that's kind of like supplement slash food. Um, But that's just one example, of course, but also things such as like tart cherry juice is one of the most potent antioxidants and not just cherry juice, but tart cherry juice um, in particular. Take two shots of that a day. That can be extremely beneficial if you're doing that as a habit. Um, other things like ginger or bromelain, that's a pretty, I think, underutilized one. And bromelain is actually found in pineapple, in particular pineapple core, which people tend to throw away. Um, <laughs> but I'd advise I'm, I'm, you I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I advise you not to throw it away. It's actually the best thing in that pineapple and in a providing um, uh, high doses of anti-inflammatories, some research um, that was actually really strong, so strongly supported that um, that uh, particular cat, like you could take it as a capsule too, but the bromelain was found to be two times more effective than Motrin. And uh, that's pretty impressive because when you look at it, that's usually what the first thing that people grab is like a Motrin. If they're trying to control their joint pain, for instance, and be that arthritis or non-arthritic type of pain. So I do like to give people tools and strategies. And that's something that we do uh, again through that book, but also in our coaching program. So I let people know here are your unique tools and strategies to make sure that you can implement into your life so that you have that long-term pain freedom. Uh, oh wow! Okay, all right. So now, note note to self: please do not throw away. Don't pineapple. throw away the core. Yeah, don't throw away the pineapple core. It's the best thing. <laughs> I think what happens, especially when it comes to supplements, in you know, when you go to the store, you go to these you know, these vitamin stores, and it's just a wall full of them. Yes, it right? is overwhelming. And- and how do you even not only let's say you choose one, but then it's ten different brands of the same supplement. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know. I'm not sure if 
if this one is better versus that one, and then they end up, you know, paralyzed and don't get anything. <laughs> right. And I do think that happens a lot. Or they may ask, you know, the person there to help them kind of pick one. And I don't always know their reasons or motives, right? So you still like, okay, I don't know if this is good or not. The bottom line is that supplements in general, they're not FDA approved. That doesn't mean they're not, none of them are good because I do have some that kind of my, you know, tried and true ones that I use as well. But at the end of the day, they're not FDA approved. So they don't go through these, you know, same level of rigor, you know, testing and things like that to I'd say, okay, this is definitely, which is why none of them can like claim that it, you know, will cure you of anything, right? Um, but at the same time, what, but that being said, that's exactly why I try to encourage it through your diet. Um, because you, you just can't go wrong there. You don't have to worry about the fillers that may or may not cause some other issues with you. And if you don't know what fillers in the supplements could be causing your fatigue, right. Or causing some other side effect, cause you're just not aware, um, you can avoid that by trying to, um, really get it through your diet. doesn't mean you have to avoid them, but it is hard. And that's, again, one of my reasons why I tend to focus on the food and the ways you can get it through your diet. And then if you need a supplement, such as a good example would be vitamin D3. It, you know, it's not a great way to get it through your diet in the food form per se. And many of us are vitamin D deficient, especially in America, and especially if you have increased melanin in your skin. So it's just one of those things. And we know, again, you probably read the same research that I have, or supports that again, vitamin D3, of course, in my field is definitely encouraged because of the muscle skeletal benefits, right? In terms of helping with people with pain in their muscle skeletal system in general, but it also helps with depression. If you are depressed, I mean, it doesn't mean it cures it, right? But we found that there's a high percentage of people that were depressed and have vitamin D3 deficiencies. And once that was adequately supplied, some of those patients were able to decrease or come off of their antidepressants. That's not going to be always the case, but that's just going to that point of sometimes these essential things that are just basic, really, that we don't do can really impact our overall health. And it can be very, very impactful if we are adequately supplied, supplemented with that. And, and I think that, you know, I think you tell a, a telling point. I, I did very recently, I, I think I posted it in my private group, uh, a study that came out that said like one out of 10 people who commit suicide deal with chronic pain. And if you put together that, you know, a lot of people are, and I'm in, I'm in Florida and I'm not regular, I'm in like South Florida where the sun is burning hot. Right. You would be surprised the amount of people who are walking around vitamin D deficient because we really, even though there's a lot of sun around, we avoid the sun like the plague. Right. You know, we're, we're from the car to the garage, to the garage, to the house. Absolutely. You know, we're not, we're not really staying outside. So when you, when you hear, you know, vitamin D deficiency, you know, associated with depression, and then you know, we know a lot of chronic pain patients, you know, suffer from depression and also suffer from clearly one out of 10 as a very high number you know, are related to suicide. That's like, that's something that we really have to start putting together. And it all goes back into, you know, what we're putting in our body or in this case, what we're not putting in our body. Yeah. I'm so glad you reiterated that. That's a huge, huge point. And like you said, some people would have taken what you just said about being in Florida as, oh, well, they're good or California, oh, they're fine. But you just made a great point that, you know, we go from, like you said, car to facility or car to home of spending no time. So you're not exempt from being deficient. And I'd encourage, if you can hear the sound of our voice here, uh, to go get checked and find out your levels. There's certain levels that I feel like everyone should know. Your D level, 
your PSA level, your A1C level, like those <laughs> things are like absolute. No one should walk around and not know those levels. You know, I just really feel strongly about that. And the D3 level is definitely in there. When, when we talk about, uh, we kind of touched a little bit about mindset. Take us through the mindset of a person whose pain gets controlled and one whose isn't, right? Like, what are, what are some of the things that you're running to that may be, like, very common? Like, okay, these this type of mindset, yeah, you're, you're always going to be dealing with pain. And that type of mindset, like, yeah, you might be, you might be one for me. Gotcha. And I'm glad. That, so that's a great one. So this is number two. Number one would have been what we just talked about in terms of these four steps. Just so everybody gets clear. If you're writing these down, please be really clear about what we're speaking on. The food one was number one. That's one step to your pain freedom, right? And really making sure you have that. And two, number two, and not in no particular order, is mindset. So that would be number two. The difference between the person who, uh, let's take two examples, like you said, or one example, where you have two people come in with the same, say, diagnosis. Maybe they both have I don't know, uh, shoulder. Back, 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 yeah, back pain. They love back pain, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to go to one of my, you know, sports medicine common ones, but yeah, the world though can relate to back pain, right? So yeah, let's take back pain. Both of them have the same, you know, diagnosis, L4-5, let's say degenerative disc disease with, you know, some common arthritic issues with pain. Um, but one comes in with a certain mindset of, I'll never get better. I have to stay on my Percocet or I can't function. Everything is, nothing really goes my way. I don't know what to do besides take my medication to help myself. Then you have the patient with the same diagnosis that comes in and says, which is really common. Like I said, these people, I'm not just making these up. This really does happen. I know for a fact that I don't have to live with this, but every doctor I've gone to tells me I do, but I know there has to be a solution. So these are two very real people with the same diagnosis, but clearly, right? Two different, very, very different mindsets. And I can help them both, but both of them are going to have to do some work. So on the one hand, with the patient who came in pretty hopeless and doesn't even believe I can help them, I try to encourage them that the fact that they're sitting there kind of debunks that. Because they really didn't think there was zero help. So I kind of put it back on them. Like, I believe that you believe deep down that you can. Because you wouldn't be sitting in front of me. There's a choice that you had to make to get dressed, drive, or be driven to my office, wait in the waiting room, usually not too long. (laughs) And then be seen, evaluated, listen to my voice to this point. Like, that, that was a process that you had to decide to do. And you wouldn't decide it if you felt zero hope. So there, I try to work on that mustard seed of hope that they do have because that mustard seed of hope is what got them sitting there in my office. And then we have to build from there, along with a short course showing them, identifying the different uh, things that I can do specifically for them because every treatment program is not going to be the same for everyone. Again, as you just kind of alluded to, everybody has like some slightly different different things that may be impactful or helpful for them. And other things that I may give to like patient B, patient A wouldn't even attempt because it's just not there yet. They're not ready there. They're not ready yet, which is why I often tell both of those type of patients, I'm here for you 110%. The only thing that I require of you is for you to do the same. That's the only requirement. And I'm not for everybody, but if you decide that you, we will work together and you decide to commit to being the MVP for your health, I will not give up on you. So that's the only rule. Don't give up on you. I won't give up on you. We move forward and we try to make it get you to that long-term pay freedom. 
the patient B that you just kind of talked about, right, that or we just talked about that came in with a much more um, positive outlook. And though I know that this can't be it. I'm in a lot of pain, but I know that what they told me can't be true. I don't want to be on pain pills for the rest of my life. Help me, Doc, right? That's half the battle. And for me, it does make it a little easier because I know what I provide them, either suggestions or treatments, they're really going to put 110% in for real uh, to go after it because they are truly already, that's like half the battle, the mindset piece of that, to get them to the place to really commit to it so that they can get to their destination or, the, you know, I, want to call it, I don't really call it a destination, but get to that point in their life where the quality of life is a lot better than what it currently is. So those two are very, very different patients, um, believe it or not. And the science also, again, we go back to evidence-based medicine because I believe in it and it's a, therefore a reason it's really important. That does support, when we think about where the pain center is in the brain and the emotional center, what we call in the science world amygdala, which is not just a fancier word for the emotional center, right? They're really cousins. They're literally next door neighbors in the brain, in an anatomical, like in the anatomy where they sit. So it's no secret or it's not hard, you know, far-fetched to understand why they are so closely related that one does impact the other. And if we can um, control our stress level, control our emotional, that emotional uh, state in a, in, in a way that is going to be more beneficial and healthy, it is going to positively impact what your pain. Um, it's, just, it's just the bottom line. It's anatomy science um, beyond just my opinion. I love it. What would you say to the the next step and person's, you know, you know, road to freedom would be? The next step, I would say, um, again, these aren't specific orders, but I do think that America uh, in particular still devalues sleep. And that honestly is a really big one. <laughs> Hence, I do have part of our programs in my office, what we call the sleep hygiene program. And some people come to see me just for that. Um, it wasn't expected because usually that was kind of part of a different program, but um, it's so crucial that that impacts people's pain. If you aren't getting enough sleep again, it kind of goes back to that whole hormonal piece of that, how that impacts some of our stress hormones. And when those are elevated, we know for a fact that then when the stress level on the stress hormones are elevated, they then influence um, our pain, our pain receptors and the pain centers where that becomes elevated as well. So our pain then in turn becomes exacerbated. So it's just, you know, at, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, really when it comes down to that. And if we understand that, which is why I care so much and I get so excited and passionate about why you're in pain and the root cause and not the um, symptom relievers, I like to go to the root. And that's why I get into that whole piece of like, okay, what started this? What started that, right? So sleep is a huge, huge, huge piece. And I know that our lifestyles don't want this. I'm guilty of it as well. But I do have to have this check and balance, i.e. husband, right, in my case, or, or just checking myself in general, like, hey, you know, X amount of days per week, you need to make sure that you're really getting this in because I'm no good to myself or anything I strive to do for myself or others if I'm not getting that. And then it's going to negatively impact my thinking, you know, my focus, um, my ability to feel less fatigued, all of those things are impacted. So when you feel more fatigued because of less sleep and you feel less focused and more kind of foggy brain, all of that stuff is going to exasperate. Again, your stress is going to exasperate your pain. So sleep, sleep, sleep is definitely step number three. Um, you have to improve your sleep hygiene. A couple of tips of, um, you know, if I could throw some 
some nuggets out there. It's not an end all be all, but one thing that people can do is initiating your sleep before you get in the bed. So it actually, especially if you're someone who struggles with it, if you don't struggle with this, um, yeah, I applaud you. Uh, but some people get in the bed and they still say, well, doc, I get in the bed at a decent time. I started going to bed earlier, but I can't fall asleep. So I tell people to initiate sleep before you get in the bed. One thing that I, uh, I think it was like 62% of Americans, and don't quote me on that one, but someone look it up, is a pretty high percentage of Americans have TVs in their bedrooms. And I say, no, 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 no. Take the TVs out of the bedroom. Get, get the TV out of the bedroom. Right? Thank you. That's very right. Help me out with that one. Get the TVs out the bedroom. Now, that might be a hard sell because either A, you're like dead set on not doing it. And then, though, <laughs> you have to choose. You have to decide what's important to you. Is it is How important is your pain freedom to you? You know, how important is a better quality of life to you? Like, I can tell you these things, but again, you have to decide, yes, I will be the MVP of my health. So I can only suggest, I can take it to the well, but I can't make you drink it, right? So I'm giving you this, guys. That's a tip that I give. Please take the teas out the bedroom. Why? Because what we also know is that even if you're not watching, because I'll get people like that, right? You probably heard of this too, Dr. Barry. They'll say, oh, well, the TV's in there, but I'm not really watching it. It's just don't. Right, you just, get that? It's just on. It's just the light. It's just the light. It's just the light that keeps us, you know, it soothes me, right? Well, the problem with that is that the brain activity doesn't register that, okay? Your brain activity is still having to process that, that background light, that background noise, which means that activity is still going and you're not able to get to that rest state so that you can truly go to sleep. Or even if you fall asleep, because a lot of people say, oh, I'll fall asleep to the TV. What you don't, what happens is you won't get into that REM sleep that, that, where that uh, cellular recovery and processing and all that is happening. So you don't get into that part of the sleep where the recovery um, that we need to happen happens. And so, or you'll wake up, right? You'll wake up in the middle of the night. Why? Because that, again, brain activity is still kicked on. So it kind of wakes you out of your sleep. Then you turn the TV off, maybe at that point at three in the morning, but you would have never woke up at three in the morning, potentially had that TV not been in there. So that's one nugget. I ask you guys, please take the TV out. And that if you're married, I know sometimes that can be a difficulty. Like one person wants it, one person <laughs> I don't know about that one. I'm not a marital counselor. So <laughs> that part, I can just suggest that one. And then another one I do like that people speak on uh, melatonin. Are you familiar with that one? I, I am. And uh, I've, I've actually prescribed it to patients. I've had, actually had even like children who say like, yeah, actually, that's true. That's true. Puts them out. Right. That's true. That's true. So one thing I like to do with some people, again, some of my patients come to me, they're very anti, I do have a pretty large percentage of my patients who are very anti anything. They don't want to take supplements. They don't want to take pills, you know, anything, right? <laughs> Nothing. Um, they like, don't even know. Right. Right. So it's those kind of patients come to me too, because they're like, oh, you're the doc. You know, you'll help me identify other ways to get what I need. And that's true. So another way you can do that, actually, instead of the melatonin supplement um, is chamomile, which is like it basically has like a cross reactivity or kind of cross react with the same receptor. Um, So it acts like melatonin and that could be very beneficial. So you could actually drink like a cup of uh, chamomile tea 30 minutes to 45 minutes before bedtime as again, as part of your sleep program. Um, Again, what do we talk about? Getting ready for bed before you get in bed. Um, so those are just two nuggets that um, have been beneficial for some patients. And it's something that if you haven't tried, you could try it and let us know how it goes. I love it. And and obviously not 
last, but, you know, in, in that, you know, four steps to kind of getting us to the, this freedom that we're searching for, what, what would you say would be you know, your fourth? So my fourth, and I'm glad you said not last, because it's definitely not last. None of these really trump anything else, I would be honest with you. But if I said you have to get certain things right first, right, it would be probably mindset. But in general, they're pretty all equal. And so that fourth step, I would say, is exercise. And you just can't get around. Oh, I, 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 I think we need to think. <laughs> we, might, we, might have, we might have to. Lunch learn listeners. I want to again. Listen to the fourth step. She, she, she didn't say it's the most important, but. It is extremely important, right? <laughs> I know. It's not like a curse. It's like a curse word, right? Like, ooh, what she say? She said. She said exercise. I did. I did say it. I said it. I did. And the thing about it is, even though people hate it, like, oh, Lord, there she goes. Now they talk about exercise. You can't get around it. I often tell people, just like you can't outwork out a bad diet, it's the same thing. You can't out eat. You know, it goes in both ways. At the end of the day, you both you need both. Because what food does, exercise doesn't. What exercise does, food doesn't do. So, they all have to, again, have that multifactorial approach to making sure that you can get your pain freedom. And these are my four steps um, that I have found over and over and over again. When I have patients who are implementing these as part of their lifestyle, all four of these in a real way, they don't see me as often, um, which is good for them, right? <laughs> Technically, you know what I mean? That's the whole point um, that you can kind of govern and do the MVP of your own health. So exercise is really, really important. And there's all kind of exercises, not all created equal either. Um, I like hit and I like lit. I mean, they would have both. You know, actually, I do implement both because some of my patients, I'll take lit, for example, which is low intensity interval training. Um, it's really good for people who may be over 65 or may have some joint issues that I feel like, oh, I can't do all that jarring on my knees because the hit, which is high intensity interval training, which is one of my favorites, the lit allows you to do the same motions, the same movement. Um, but it's low intensity, but ten but we can put more resistance in that. Okay. So that way we're kind of still getting a bigger impact, or you may just lengthen the routine a little bit longer than if it was a hit. For example, the hit routines you can do 15 and 30 minutes um, with really, really great uh, results if you do that three to four days a week. A lit routine, which is, I know it's like a it's not like a slang word. I know. I think it is a slang word, but hey, I'm calling it lit because it is impactful for other people is that you may do that, you know, maybe five to six days a week because it is low intensity or you would lengthen the actual uh, time. So instead of 15 to 30 minutes, you may do 25 to 45 minutes. Um, but the whole point is to do something. OK. And a lot of times people it's like, you know, start somewhere commit to that and then build. Don't try to run the marathon tomorrow. Instead, you may say at work, for example, I'm going to run in place four times before I leave the building um, for two minutes at a time. Commit to something and then when you accomplish it, set the next goal. And if you need help, that's what Dr. Barry is for here for today. That's what I'm here for. That's what, there's people out there, there's resources out here, right, to help you identify ways to kind of keep there, keep you in momentum. And I really stress people to have accountability partners. I still have accountability partner, right? People may look up to me, oh, you don't, you got it. No, like in life, we all need to be held accountable. And it not, sometimes it's not our spouse, to be honest with you. Sometimes it's not your significant other. Sometimes 
it's not even a friend, <laughs> you know, but you know, it just kind of depends. Identify someone right now in your mind and write it down that someone you know that won't BS with you, someone you know that is going to tell it to you straight. Whoever that is in your life, write that name down. Try to write down one or two of those names and put them down on the paper and reach out to them. Reach out to them and they can be accountability partner for you. And I do that for health as well as financial, as well as other personal goals. And sometimes they're not always the same person, right? Um, but it is important to, you know, if you're going to commit to it, find a way to help hold yourself accountable. If you feel like you're not quite ready to hold yourself accountable by yourself, it can be really helpful to keep your exercise routine going so that you can stay momentum and keep t- um, making and reaching goal after goal after goal. Oh, perfect. I, and, you know, obviously I, I couldn't have a uh, pain specialist, you know, on, on, without talking about that, that big O word that right. I, again, unless you you don't, watch TV, don't listen to radio, don't read a newspaper, unless unless you do all of those things here, you're, you're likely going to know about opioids, right? You're likely going to know about the opioid epidemic, the opioid crisis, however you want to call it. Right. And, and I, I can, I, I want to, you know, set up the listeners to kind of understand where we're at, right? This is usually some facts, right? Pain affects more Americans than diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. True. Pain is cited as the most common reason Americans access the healthcare system, right? A, a lead, the leading cause of disability and major contributor to healthcare costs, right? So we understand pain is something real, right? Uh, unfortunately, we're at a different spectrum right now. And I can tell you as an internist, I, I'll be honest, I, I dump on the Dr. Z's of the world everywhere right? <laughs> where, you know what? Patients are coming in, they're coming in with, you know, these, these medications, right? These opioid medications. And I say, you know what? I don't want to do nothing with that. Go to the pain management specialist, right? Like that's not for me, right? As a, and now, now we flip in the seat, right? Like as the pain management specialist who probably gets referrals like that from people like me all the time, right? Like what's, what are your thoughts, right? Like when we talk about pain, pain control, and then we talk about opioid, opioid abuse and, and the like. Such a loaded question right there. And it really does take more than probably the time that we actually have left right. to do, right? It's so loaded. Um, but it put me on the spot. But no, I think it's really, really important to topic to continue to discuss. And you just can't exhaust it, be honest with you. Some of the thoughts that I have are sometimes the same thoughts that some of that you may have, right? Um, is the epidemic real? Yes, I believe it's real, just like the next person does. Because of I see it every day. You know, I probably was feeling this way before it became a conversation, be honest with you. In the media, just um, just being inundated day in and day out throughout my entire day, because that's all I'm seeing. And as a specialist, you just mentioned, although my focus is now by choice uh, to focus on for the same reason that we're having this conversation, uh, because there is an epidemic, I'm trying to focus on non-opioid solutions. However, I've been trained as a pain specialist um, to treat both opioid, you know, uh, and non-opioid ways. And with that being said, is actually why I opened my medical practice to uh, try to identify and really promote non-opioid solutions because um, the epidemic that we're speaking in, uh, that we're speaking on right now. And what I would say is, first of all, I'm not an opioid hater, um, meaning that I, <laughs> you know, I believe in them. They have their purpose. Um, that is my position, personally. Um, however, do I feel like they're always used appropriately? No. Opioids are symptom relievers. Okay. And as we kind of talked about earlier in the show, 
I am a root cause advocate. And for me, that was my personal and professional dilemma in my specialty was that I'm root cause driven, but opioids is not root cause directed. Wow. Um, very, I think that's a very good point. Right. Okay. So, right. So that was in, for my personality, like I said, in my professional goals, um, that didn't serve me well long-term. <laughs> so I had to make a shift so I could feel like I can impact and help empower people to know that they have other options. Now, do I prescribe opioids? I still do prescribe opioids in a very, 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 very small percentage of people. Typically, this is, here's the, here's the truth. Okay. So when it comes to opioids, which are Percocets, what we call Schedule II medications, you have your hydrocodones, things like that for our listeners to understand all the language you're speaking on. All of these are all in the same category. They're meant to decrease symptoms. That was the one we said, right? So there's pain receptors, obviously, in our body, and that's what they attach to to minimize the pain or decrease the pain. The problem is they also can become to a point where you're overtaxing these receptors to a point where they become tolerant or dependent, and then you require more to get the same effect. And then you should go on and go on and go on and go on, and then that can become obviously increasingly uh, less effective for the patient because this whole time you're still doing what? Trying to manage a symptom and not the root cause. So for me, I typically, if I have given them typically in more recent years, it's for acute issues, right? Traumas, surgery, um, those kind of things, an acute pain or, or trauma that occurs, completely appropriate, completely appropriate in a lot of those settings for a temporary period of time. While you're still, what? Addressing and trying to identify the root cause. And once you identify and, and, and get to that root cause, then that's when you have to start working on these multifactorial approaches to getting these people to places of pain freedom long term. So my position is that they have their place. But, but my other position is that sometimes when you have non-specialists, and this is just a or even specialists. I take that back. Don't, 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 don't talk about me now. Don't, don't say. Like, sound, sound like sound like about that. <laughs> I had to think about it, but not even just non-specialists. Specialists as well, right? That sometimes we may be prescribing them um, longer than we need to, and often sometimes it's not actually us. Sometimes what we have, unfortunately, because they are addictive, right? They are. Um, addictive medications where the patient may leave that doc and they may go to another one. Oof. Right? Oh, yes. And then that doc has no really history with them to say no, maybe, right? So then they give them another set. And then they're done with that doc and they go to the next doc. Mm. That is extremely common. Now, how do we like stop that? Or how do we like police that? That was also why I don't really like to be part of that. Cause I didn't want to be a policeman and a doctor. I right. just really wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, it's really tough to really do it, but there are programs, state and federal programs. Now, not every state has it, but they're increasingly becoming more widespread. Georgia, where I live definitely has it where you can actually go into a program to see what the activity say of that patient is. So when they come to you, you can see where the last time they had a schedule to prescribe, if they picked it up at the pharmacy, when they picked it up at the pharmacy, and what doctor prescribed it. <clears throat> so that's helpful to try to manage it 
um, somewhat to protect the patient, really. And so that's what I tell people. It's not me being mean. It's me trying to protect you as well as obviously ourselves as too, but it's an epidemic for a reason and we have to try to put things in place that can try to change this thing around. But it doesn't happen with one doctor, right? It's going to be doctor to doctor to doctor in a system and a choice um, and people making decisions to try to um, really change that paradigm. Um, but when the person is addicted or has a dependency, we also have to have, I believe, um, a team approach approach to that patient as well. Um, there are sometimes what they call pain contracts that are, if not 100%, I'm pretty sure 100% at this point, mm -hmm. um, that we have with our patients that um, basically you kind of, it's a marriage license in all sorts right. of ways, right? You know, right. You, you can't get your medication right. but from me. <laughs> exactly. No cheating on me, right? It's like, hey, we're into this together. But at the same time, the little thing that I don't like about the pain contracts, which that's not true. I like them, but the other piece of that, right? So say they violate it, then what? They leave the practice, right? That's typically what happens. But there, I believe that, and there's, again, some practices out there doing these now, doing this thing now, where even before that or during that arrangement or that commitment to each other, that you're also addressing the psychosocial aspect of that patient's chronic pain in the first place. Um, so sometimes I find that, and I'd like to see more studies on it, where you have a patient that is being managed with um, pain by a pain specialist, but alongside with psychotherapy, alongside with any mental health or, you know, those kind of systems in place as a team approach to treating that patient's chronic pain. And um, I, do, I do believe there's are some studies out there, none that I can quote immediately right now. Um, but increasingly, I think if we do more studies like that to support it, we'll have more pain management practices out there that's going to take this team approach so that we can really make a big impact. That's absolutely an amazing answer. Again, it's definitely something that's always been on my mind. And I've always wanted to be able to kind of pick the brain of our specialists who, you know, I, you know, I think are feeling just as big of a brunt, uh, oh, you know, yeah. the, the pain and opioid issues, epidemic, everything under the sun uh, as us, as the, you know, the general practitioner. Yeah, now, I know you talked about, you know, programs, right? And we kind of referenced uh, your book, right? But let, let's let's talk about you, right? Because I, I want to end the show with saying, like, how can someone get into your MVP program, right? Because it definitely sounds like, you know what? I, I definitely know, I know, not even sounds like, I know for a fact you're doing it a lot different than some of the pain management specialists here in Florida, right? So South Florida, I should say. Again, not, we're not going to call no names. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell us, how can a person who's listening right now can, can get in touch with you, can, you know, get into your MVP program, can read your book? Let, let, let us know. Like, please talk, talk to us. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny that you said that, too, because I do have some uh, patients who visit me uh, from Florida. So I, I understand that that's, I guess, sentiment that others people share, um, that other people share. Um, but it's all good. It's all love from this end of it. But definitely, you can actually reach me. Um, across all social media at Dr. Zarina, that's D-R-Z-A-R-I-N-A-H, and also visit me at www.drzarina.com, uh, same spelling, D-R-Z-A-R-I-N-A-H, and that's where you can actually find um, more information about how you could even have a discovery session, which at the moment we're still doing kind of a promotional world free discovery sessions, consultation, which is virtual. So you could be anywhere in the world. And we have taken those visits to how to basically direct the patient to see if this MVP program is um, appropriate for them. So I really love that aspect of it. It allows, um, and then you still walk away 
uh, with, again, a lot of information. And then we had, can I really see if um, it's a great fit for you? Um, so that's a great way to do that. Do- and this MVP program is something that you don't have to be physically where you're, you, this is, this is a virtual, you can do this, you know, from the state, of, you can do this. You don't have to be like right next door to your house to be able exactly. to do Exactly. No, you don't have to be my neighbor. <laughs> you can be in California. You can be in Germany. You can be in Russia. Uh, this is a virtual program that we will meet on a regular basis. We really dig in uniquely to your needs and to what you, um, your goals are so that we can get you to your next, to your long-term pain freedom. And sometimes that's in a form of pain. Sometimes it's like, oh, you know, my weight is causing my pain. So we address weight, we address sleep hygiene. We address um, what we talk about, the kitchen takeover, makeover, because we have to have, our kitchens have to support us. You know, um, that's extremely important. If you look around your kitchen, um, I do a challenge with my colleagues as well as um, my clients to say, if you were to walk in your kitchen right now, what percentage of your kitchen supports your health goals, supports your pain freedom goals, to really support your, you being an MVP? How, what percentage of your kitchen supports that? And that's a challenge I would ask everyone to do tonight, to go in your kitchen and look at that and then try to make some uh, some changes if it doesn't, you know, should be maybe not 100%, but I always say 85% or greater of your kitchen should be something that you say, you know what, 85 of my kitchen does support me. Um, so we talk about these different things and I really literally go into your pantry, even virtually, yes, and go into your fridge. You know, we dig into what your home environment, is that supporting your goals, um, employment, things like that, but also the physical things if you're someone that's challenged with exercise. So we really just dig in, is my point. We dig into who you are so we can get you to the space of you don't need me, you get it, and you can truly be the MVP, the most valuable person for your health. And is there any uh, other parting you know, words uh, for our Lunch and Learn listeners before we let you go? Just that, you know, again, just strike out there. Don't don't be afraid. Don't be apologetic about you wanting to put yourself first. Um, I really, you know, do believe that exercise is medicine. I do believe food is medicine. We also do uh, regenerative injection therapies, which we didn't talk a lot about today, but I'd love to come back and maybe share that with your listeners too, because it's not just what I do, it's about what you do, right? I do encourage you to be empowered that there's a lot of lifestyle things you can implement. But in our office, a lot of what we do are integrative treatments, you know, that really impacts your muscle skeletal, your joint, your ligaments, your tendons, and there's different um, injections or other um, non or minimally invasive procedures that we do that just like basically same day that really keeps people in a better space so that it's just not symptomatic relief. Again, that's for another show, but just to let your listeners know, there's so much out there, right? That are definitely so many non-opioid pain solutions out there that are functionally going to improve your whole quality of life. And one of those ways is also with food, which is the book. I love to offer your guests a 15% off discount promo code. If you go to my site, www.drzarina.com, put E15 off, which is everybody has 15 minutes um, series, 15 minute meals to your pain freedom. That's E15 off. Doesn't matter if the caps are not um, important and get your 15% off to this book that really goes into my own personal journey, actually, and my own triumphs, my own struggles, and how I overcame along with recipes. So it's not just a recipe book, although those 15-minute meals are there for your busy, you know, college, for yourself, for your listeners who are really busy, right? We're all so busy. Um, but hopefully you can find some delicious 15-minute meals that are going to, again, what support you. So they'll be in your kitchen to support your MVP goals. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to connect with uh, you and your listeners um, more, and I just really appreciate you having me. 
Thank you, Dr. Z. It's uh, been absolutely amazing. Like I said, I, you know, I, I, I try to hype you up as much as possible. And like, even <laughs> then, even then you like succeeded and superseded our expectations. So uh, thanks so much for uh, blessing the Lunch Learn community. Just an amazing and just educational, uh, almost like a sermon, right? On, you know, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and, and, and how we can go about attacking it, right? And not feel like, you know, you're defeated, right? Again, remember, we're empowering yourself for better health. We're, we're putting you, right? You're the MVP, right? So we're going to make you uh, in charge of controlling your pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Lunch Learn Community listeners, um, I will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another amazing episode with Dr. Barry and a special guest, Dr. Z. Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of the Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today if you have not had a chance please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening if you already listen and you've already subscribed make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is and if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes always head over to lunchlearnpod.com that is lunch learn pod all in one word dot com and you can get the access to my show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye